Want to see the stories that we have on the list? Hey, do you want to actually suggest a story to put on the list? The place to do that is superhumanregistrationpodcast.com. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. So you all excited for that big movie that's coming out this weekend? I am, of course, referring to Cats. Oh. Wait, is, oh, is that is actually coming, really out coming out this weekend? I think it opens the 20th. That's the no. stupidest thing I've ever... They want to lose that much money? I mean, this is a Taylor Swift joint. I, I think she has enough money to... <laughs> Despair. Don't forget Jason Derulo. Oh, how could how, I ever forget yeah, Jason he's, Derulo? He's on my bedside table right now. Jason Derulo, more like Jason DeSucco. Ah, <laughs> got him. Got him. Take him down a peg. But he didn't expect that one. <laughs> he's not the, the worst performer. I mean, like, he did give us that I'm Han Solo song. Oh, was that him? Well, the, the writing solo, solo is him. Han Solo. Yeah. Gosh, why do I know that? Somehow my sister claims to have never watched Star Wars growing up. Even though, like, there was a good stretch there uh, when I was in grade school where we watched it, like, every Sunday night. I don't know where she was. Maybe she just, like, fled the room. But we had to explain to her that his name is Han Solo and not Hans Solo. (laughs) (laughs) Look. It was like who's on first? Just like yeah. Chrissy. It's, it's Han Solo. I am Han yeah, I'm Solo. Han, I'm Han Solo. I'm Han Solo. I'm going for a pop. You know what sauna. the best bit of trivia I ever found out was? That Han from the Fast and the Furious movies, that's his name. Han Solo? Yeah, his name is Han Solo. Like it's all oh, like Korean ish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's actually pretty great. Uh you never would know, except like in one scene. When like they're pulling up his information, you see his name. And that's the only way you would know that. That's really funny. Yes. <sighs> hey, you know what? We've actually been talking for like 40 minutes and we haven't actually started the podcast yet. We should do that. This is the season of giving, by which I mean, uh, hello, welcome to the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We are here to talk about some some Christmas comics from the, the merry folks at Marvel. I'm pretty excited to get through all of this. Uh, my name is Steven. I've got John and Aldo with me. How you guys doing tonight? Ho, ho, ho. Tis the season for capitalism. Da, 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 da. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, we did our Christmas shopping over the weekend and it was expensive. Oof. It I'm, was very expensive. I just did my own Christmas shopping for me and I haven't gotten to anybody else yet. <laughs> that was a great tweet that I saw, you know, do Ambien and alcohol and become your own secret Santa. Wait, no, hold on. Amazon and Ambien. <laughs> that was a th- third day. Yes. Amazon, Ambien, alcohol. Yeah. Steven, I'm going to need another take at that joke. Uh... <laughs> All right, well, yeah, uh, so... This. Yeah, let's get... <clears throat> hey, you know what I say? Combine Amazon and Ambien and be your own secret Santa. Come on! Now, how do you now, think, how do you think, I, think I, I played? Give me another take, because you didn't make it clear that that was a tweet. And actually, I'm really going to need you to reference. Oh yeah, intellectual property was, theft. Because that's honestly, real. Mm. plagiarism is is yeah. not acceptable. Well, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm just. It's hearsay, isn't it? I'm just I'm repeating. I mean, we have it. 
plagiarized the whole podcast for me. No, we haven't. Um, I could hum the theme music to, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Mark Maron's show, but it's always different, isn't it? I, who's Mark Maron? Oh, shut up. You d- shut up. Yo, you actually don't know? Mark Maron's a comedian. Yeah, he, a he is like one of the biggest podcasters there is, like from the beginning. Does he podcast about comic books? Not. Then how would you expect me to know him? Okay, well, he's Mark Maron. I I didn't know we needed to have a discussion about this. To be fair, I didn't know who Mark Maron was till like eight months ago. No, I knew him like he did like like from a long time ago. He was in a a stand up special that I saw, and then later rediscovered when you know he had a podcast. Do you watch Glow? He's on Mm. Glow. (laughs) I don't know what else he's been in recently. Is that like Glow Words? No, it's a Netflix show. That it could still be glow words. No, it's gorgeous ladies of wrestling, glow. Oh, is that 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 what it means? Okay, hold on, hold on. So I was pulling your leg up a little bit. I do know what glow is. It just now occurred to me that that's an acronym. I did not realize. I didn't know that either. Last horse has crossed the finish line. Uh, hey, man. I think we've made John cranky enough. We need to infuse some Christmas <laughs> cheer into this. <sighs> Humbug. <laughs> what what order do we want to talk about these comics in? We've got we've got three single issue Christmas themed stories to get through. Let's see. Do we all have a different one open already to go? I have all of them open because I'm on a computer. <laughs> Ooh, look at Mr. Salad Fork has a computer. Ooh, fourteen monitors. <laughs> Seriously? Third? No. Oh gosh, <laughs> I was like, that's a whole wall. Fourteen monitors. Thirteen of them have pictures of rain. <laughs> hey. It's 12. I like to keep it at a clean dozen. No Actually, I'm pretty sure that one. you're an Asuka guy anyway. No, I'm a Ray guy. Are you a Ray guy? Yeah. Ray has... I would have thought you were an Asuka. I, th- I think Ray probably has the most interesting character development, but that's just me. You you had me, then you lost me. I'm, we're not talking about Ray from Star Wars, are we? We are not no. talking about Ray from Why? Star Wars. But we are talking Why about not? Ray from Evangelion, which is now available on Netflix, so you don't have a reason to not watch it, except maybe you don't like crippling depression. I don't. Or if you have children <laughs> yeah, around. too. The first 13 episodes are for kids. Are they, though? Yeah, before the director had a meltdown and they had to move it to a late night showing. <laughs> Just for kicks, I'm going to check the parental guide section on IMDb to see how wrong Aldo is. <laughs> While you're doing that, I think I'm going to go ahead and just start. Let's do these books in alphabetical order by title, which would mean the GLXmas special goes first. Oh boy. So, the GLXmas special was written by one Dan Slot and illustrated by a number of different people, including Matt Haley, George Janti, Ty Templeton... Paul Grist, which surprised the heck out of me. I did not expect to see him here. Laura Allred. A lot of different artists involved. What this winds up doing is walking us through a Christmas day featuring each of the Great Lakes Avengers and kind of their own story. I guess they're the Great Lakes X-Men at this point. I know they changed their name at some point, and I don't really know all the details behind them. No, they're, they're still Avengers. Well, they call themselves the GLX-Men at one point in here, too. I don't, I don't remember. Are they mutants? Squirrel Girl is? Well, Squirrel Girl is legally distinct from being a mutant. But Flatman is a homo supreme. Hmm. Yeah, these guys are so weird. So, the Great Lakes Avengers slash X-Men <laughs> are made up of Mr. Immortal, whose superpower is he cannot die. Big Bertha, who is apparently a supermodel who transforms into this uh, giant woman. Flatman, who is 
flat. <laughs> Doorman who open like he can walk through doors and he's also apparently some sort of herald of death, which is kind of a new thing. And then Squirrel Girl, who we've seen before. Uh, the, the story starts off with Squirrel Girl kind of going off to run her own Christmas errands, getting in a fight with Modok, and eventually getting sidetracked into a fight with Thanos. We see Mr. Immortal kind of mourn some of his past loves, and I think the first grave that we see him at is actually his sister's grave. Uh, and we see some of his, like, experiences with Christmas and how he's an immortal man and he outlives all of his friends and lovers and it's sad. Then we see, get this weird little two-page story with a character named Grasshopper, who, from what I have read, the entire point of the Grasshopper is that every iteration of the Grasshopper dies, like, immediately. So he winds up jumping off into outer space and dying, and that's the end of his story. Then we get this really surprisingly heartbreaking story where Doorman goes to visit his dad, and then he gets called away so he can go herald some other people off into the afterlife. And then he comes back to see his dad again, and it turns out his dad is also dead, and so he's taking his dad to the afterlife. Uh, we get a random story where this avatar of evil and death is trying to kill Squirrel Girl's squirrel companion, Tippy-Toe, and failing, he fails at that pretty dramatically. And then the Great Lakes Avengers slash X-Men gather on the roof of the building to exchange gifts. And they look up and see a shooting star, and they're all like, oh, it's heartwarming and Christmassy. And Doorman's like, oh, wait, no, that's actually Grasshopper's body burning up as it re-enters orbit. And that's where it ends. Ta-da! Yeah, there's a... This was an eclectic book, to say the least. Was that's it? A, that's charitable. <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. This was an interesting anthology. Bits of it, honestly, I was like, bits of it worked a lot better than oh, I yeah. thought they were going to. And then bits of it did not. This was a very mixed bag. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm fond of the uh, the doorman story. Yeah, the doorman story was really good. I thought. Yeah, I think the doorman one and the days of Christmas past, the one with uh, Mister Immortal. Yeah, and I'm gonna say I like the Squirrel Girl stuff too. Of course you do. <laughs> I keep thinking I would love Squirrel Girl, but the more I read of hers, the more I'm just like medium on that. Just in the middle. Like I don't hate her, but I don't love her. Th this I uh, like it was kind of funny. Part of it was funny just because like the little bit where it's like, "Yep, you definitively beat Thanos and and there's it's not a it's not a clone, it's not a different version, it's not a scroll, it's not nothing. It's you definitely be it was just like predicting an argument <laughs> later on like there's no way she actually beat him. It's in, it's like, "Nope, this is definitely Thanos and you beat him." Like that was that was funny, but yeah, I I don't I like the um previous um squirrel girl comics we read that version of squirrel girl this was just like i'm crazy because i'm a squirrel girl <laughs> i mean that was the other one too yeah but that was it seemed like more ordered chaos i don't know i, I, I don't know they, they both felt the same to me yeah and actually I, i'm kind of with aldo on this i was surprised to see how much this felt like the same character down to the point where she even has like trading cards of the different Marvel characters she runs. Oh my gosh, and they're the they're the Marvel versus cards and I used to play that game. You played that game? I did. I played that game too. Oh, we never played it together though. We didn't well no, like I uh <laughs> got rid of my cards when I moved back to uh Salt Lake after graduating from college. So you've never known me when I played that game. I mean, that doesn't make my statement untrue. 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was an actual trading card game. You can see like on uh, what is it, page five? She's holding up the card for Dum Dum Dugan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a trading card game, and it like before it died. The cards were super cheap, and so I wound up buying boxes and boxes of those cards because you could get a full box of uh, booster packs for, like, 30, 40 bucks. Yeah. Which is actually a really good price, except now the game is defunct. Although it did come back. Yeah. You can buy just, like, the two-player variants in... in This has been an excerpt from the future podcast of Steven and Aldo, Nerds in Time. A look back (laughs) at the lesser-known collectibles and geeky things from our history. Yeah. I would listen to a podcast about people talking about old Marvel comic book related. We're living it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think Modox looks really cool in this first part, which is something I didn't think I'd say because he's the goofiest goofy character (laughs) in a, in a, in a book full of goofy characters. Um, I kind of wrote this off like, eh, like, the, you know, the art is real hit and miss. And I know that it's separate stories, and so the artist changes and everything. But um, after I finished laughing at the fact that the woman's name is Dinah Soar, <laughs> yeah. um, I thought it was very, I thought it was very touching that, like, I can only buy, bond with a mortal once in my entire lifetime and share the gift of my very special language. I thought that was sweet, and they had their little Christmas thing. And then she dies, and it's, it's, it's horrible. Because he has to go on every Christmas remembering. I th- I think it's ironic because I think it plays it plays on like this whole trope. It's got, it kind of does that Lord of the Rings thing where you have like the elf right. uh, girl who hooks up with the human dude and she's like, "I will bond with you because we live we live like forever." And you know they you mean they, Arwen. Sure, I'm not the nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are on a comics podcast. <laughs> I thought what was funny to me, I'm just going to glaze over that, Um, was that, I don't know, I think in any other book, the expectation here would be that uh, that he's going to die. Even though he's Mr. Immortal, the expectation is he's going to die because she's the one that's like, we live these long lives and we can only mate once or bond once. Sure. Um, But then it's, nope, nope, she's the one that died. Yeah. And he had to be there. And it's just, okay. Yeah, y'all picked up on the fact that uh, Mr. Immortal at the end of that section of the story gets hit on by the girl that he rescues, and yes. her name is Sarah Tops. Oh yes. gosh, I missed that. How am I so yeah, dumb? Yeah, what's with what's with the dinosaur? <laughs> and so the thing is, this is why I wound up looking up who the first gravestone that we see him at. Uh, it's this is on uh, page thirteen. The panel says four years ago, and all I see is Terry O something. Dactyl? I couldn't like, make it out. I was like. It's not. Oh. It's Terry O'Doan. It's his, uh, like, foster sister slash girlfriend slash something. Pterodon. Pterodon is like, it's a, that's like a... See, it's still not a just flying. Oh it, gosh, is. It, it is. It's, that's still a flying... It that's is a flying, uh Oh my gosh. Why is he, why does he date dinosaurs? I mean, to be fair, he only dated one dinosaur. And she's cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's adorable. Yeah. She has, like, yeah. the, the big puppy dog eyes. Yeah, yeah. She's adorable in like a shape of water sort of way. <laughs> yeah. So one of one of the things. So I actually looked into Mister Immortal because I'd never heard of him. I haven't heard of any of the characters in here except for like Squirrel Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out that he fa- he found out his power after his sister girlfriend whatever died. Um, 
And he found out that he's immortal because he tried to commit suicide. That's rough. So, you know, real cheery character. That was, and honestly, that's kind of my, one of my biggest complaints about this book is just, it is not, like, I don't think it navigates between the somber and the slapstick as well as it thinks it does. Yeah, I actually was kind of, I don't know, I think maybe 10 years ago I probably wouldn't have cared. But today, or, you know, yesterday when I read the book, um, the part where a doorman is going through and kind of picking up souls, and there's, like, a body that's just kind of hanging. Yeah. And he's just, come on, hurry up, let's go. I got things to do. And I was like, dude. Yeah. I get, like, I get the joke, right? Like, he's going on business, he has a thing to get back to, like, it's Christmas. Like, I get it. But, like, I don't think that joke lands nearly as well as they think it did. I yeah. Think. And again, the doorman story is probably my favorite yeah. of them. But yeah, that bit rubbed me the wrong way too. Yeah. But honestly, with the exception of that particular joke, uh, I think the rest of the book is fairly inoffensive. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it didn't really like knock it out of the park for me. I think I think that the two stories were like that I liked were really good. Um, in fact, I would have preferred to see those stories stretched out a little bit. And I could have done without the Looney Tunes episode with the squirrels. Yeah. Yeah, that bit was actually not good. Though, though the bit with uh, Immortal Man where he walks out and he, he's covered in all the traps and a snake. <laughs> that snake wasn't there. How does he do that? Just attracts all the trouble. That squirrel story is actually ridiculously complicated because the black squirrel is Death Urge, who has apparently some sort of connection to both Mr. Immortal and maybe I think the doorman as well. And I'm not clear what it is. And now he's a squirrel. It was like so complicated so quickly. And I was like, I don't know that I care. Huh. Uh, although, okay, there was actually one bit in the squirrel story that I thought was pretty funny. And that's where there's this one trap that's set to go off. And it like is this crossbow that's going to shoot an arrow at tippy toe. And then the cuckoo bird comes out of the clock and it intercepts the arrow. That bit was pretty funny. It was almost, almost Rube Goldberg-esque there. With all the different, you know, steps of the trap. Yeah. But again, easily for me, I think the best story was the doorman story. And part of that was because this is the story that was illustrated by Paul Grist. If you don't know, and you probably don't from just reading this story, Paul Grist is one of the best comics makers. <laughs> He's, he is so good at making comics. Uh, this, this story doesn't really do him justice. He, he has some incredible layouts and some really really innovative comic storytelling techniques that he uses in some of his own books. Um, but this story, like, it just, it was just, you know, decent, solid storytelling, craftsmanship, has a great moment with this three-panel grid where the doorman runs into Santa Claus, <laughs> and he's like, hey, Santa Claus, you wouldn't happen to have anything in there for my dad, would you? Some toy he always longed for ever since he was a kid, something that would teach him the true meaning of Christmas and help forge a bond between a father and son. <laughs> and then because the Santa, he just like, nope. That bit was pretty good, but nothing super exceptional. I just saw that he's wearing skis. This whole time he's wearing skis. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the thing with the skis is weird. Because going across the aisle to, to DC, Jack Kirby creates the new gods. And one of the characters that he creates is the, is the, uh, the Black Racer who is the manifestation of death among the new gods, and he has skis. Would this be an homage to that, or straight up ripping it off? Maybe. 
I don't know. It's it's too subtle to be an homage, I think. Unless, again, it's possible that this happened in an earlier Great Lakes Avengers Men story, and uh, like there it was an homage. Here it's just it, it just reads like, oh, death also has skis in this universe for some reason. Yeah, I mean, you know, galactic beings riding on sports stuff isn't all that out of the normal Silver Surfer. Yeah, true. And Jack Kirby created Silver Surfer, so I guess there's an argument that he ripped himself off for the Black Racer. Maybe he just likes sports, and they won't let him write sports. <laughs> <laughs> this is a comic book. You get that sports out of there. <sighs> Maybe. I don't know. Kirby's done some interesting stuff in his career. Um, anyway, talking about the GLX Smith special, anything else that we want to bring up? I like uh, I like his death sense. Yeah. It's very spidey sense, but, you know, death. Yeah. <laughs> the oh, same yeah. visual cues and everything. Yeah, that was kind of cute. Also, Flatman is... Boy, is he a story and a half. Also, read into... Is he? I read into his backstory, yeah. Okay, he... I was like, here I did not care about him at all. At all. No, I... No. Not at all. <laughs> Nothing happens with him or with Big Bertha. She gets... She gets a necklace of nuts, and she's very appreciative because it was very thoughtful. Okay, nothing else happens with Big Bertha. I forgot about that character-defining moment where she wears a nut necklace from a squirrel. (laughs) Well, then. I guess we don't appreciate art the same. (laughs) An acorn necklace? That was very thoughtful, Tippy Toe. I'm looking at that panel. I just love it because they're all giving each other gifts. Oh my gosh, I just got the joke. Stupid. What joke? Uh, the flat man gives Immortal Man a red shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's stupid. Uh, all right, I'm done with this book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's back. entertaining, but it's also kind of just like, meh. I don't know. Yeah. I think there are really good parts in it, but... They're not enough to, like, elevate this beyond, like, that's eh, fine. And it's such an odd team, too. Like, I care about Squirrel Girl. I do not really care about the other... Like, I don't care about, like, learning more about the other characters. Okay, but let me ask you this. Would you care about the Squirrel Girl if you hadn't already read Squirrel Girl? Maybe a little? I don't know. I do think that line about uh, Squirrel Girl defeating the one Defi- true Thanos yeah. that is not a robot uh-huh. clone or simulacrum would make yeah. me like her, yeah. honestly. If nothing else, it's it's the same part of me that takes a perverse glee in actually really liking Star Wars Episode Eight. That's no, that's not. You that's know, not I a, like to be a that's little not bit a perverse contrary. Glee. That's right. That's the right. That's the right yeah. opinion, sir. Or should we say the left opinion? <laughs> hey yo. The correct opinion. <laughs> Let's not politicize a. a light-hearted space fantasy series that is absolutely about overthrowing an oppressive government. Let's instead move on to talk about uh, a delightful children's romp that definitely has no other meaning beyond exactly what we're seeing on the page. Let's go to Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Twas in Hawkeye number six on the last page of the book. Clint watched Christmas cartoons. No, really, go look. Now it's your turn to see Hawkeye's new winter friends and how they react when evil descends. Why are you still reading this improvised rhyme? This is the greatest comic ever. Stop wasting time. And that's how it opens. <laughs> I love that your your new technique for uh, summarizing the comics is just to read introductions from somewhere Well, else. you know what? There's a reason that they're there. <laughs> 
Hawkeye is watching the NBC Wintertime Winter Friends Winter Fun Special. And so we get several pages where it's almost, it's somewhere in between Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts, where, I don't know, the, the, the inks look like it's Calvin and Hobbes, but the character designs are very reminiscent of Peanuts, and so the Winter Friends show up. Yaldog, the proud pooch of power representing the Persian holiday Yalda, uh, Rama in pajamas, the Hindu deity, is down with Diwali and is also a llama. Santalope. Ho, 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 boy, make way for this Yuletide Titan. Samantha Hain, the pagan princess, Kwanzaa Gator, and Minorable. Nine lives, nine candles, Lachayim, the winter friends. So it's representing all holidays. Yeah. The fact that Minorable has not been a thing before makes yeah. me sad. Yeah, it's it was right there the whole time. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm, so perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, s- summer is coming and is wrecking things, and uh, Steve, the dog with no powers that we let hang out with us for some reason, is uh, back at the Winter Friends uh, base and feels left out. This is basically this you know silly story where where Hawkeye is seeing you know his own life happening uh, and uh how he's you know he's the vulnerable one he's the one without powers he's the one who's trying to do it all by himself and he has this whole support but steve the steve the dog with no powers keeps yelling i can do it all by myself and um he he uh fights with the dog the uh, dingo are the dingoes yeah dog 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 the the bro dogs they're in track suits Dangos get these dogs, dogs. Dogs are dogs are dead dogs. Dog, those dogs are dead dog with. Yeah. So there's a little Kate Bishop dog. There's a uh, Barney the brother dog. But yeah. Oh my gosh! I just realized that the Dingos are wearing yep. like, tracksuits. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> why am I so slow on these books? <laughs> what mental state are you reading them in? Awake. Fair. Okay. That's a start. <laughs> So the real super dogs show up, the real, you know, Avengers show up, and he still wants to, like, I, I'm going to do it all by myself. And he goes and tries to take on Mr. Sun, who's uh, trapped all the winter friends and is melting everything. And, um, hey, Mr. Sun, the jerk store facts, and they don't like you at all. Hey, that doesn't even make sense. I thought that was a nice little Seinfeld callback. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know who Mother Winter is supposed to be. I always kind of felt that the... The Mother Winter was just like the end of the holiday story, you know, where they rescue Jack Frost or whatever. It, I, don't, I don't think that was necessarily meant to have a specific parallel to anything in Hawkeye's story. Yeah. Mostly it's just, you know, the, the two the two Hawkeye puppies get closer together and then Steve wakes up after... Well, no, I'm sorry, Steve. Steve's the dog. Clint, Clint the kids are awake. The mom's awake, Lucky Dog is awake, Pizza Dog is awake, but Clint is asleep and resting comfortably on his sofa in his Santa hat. And I'd have to go back and see where in the um, issue six, that's where it's all told out of order and Tony Stark comes over to help him find all of his aux cables and stuff. It's really funny. And uh, yep. he he decides to take a stand against, you know, the, the tracksuit mafia. And um, yeah, this is just a little break from the action. And um, mm-hmm. it was just a lot of fun, you know, mixing up, um, you know, kind of Hawkeye's frustrations uh, paired with this, uh, you know, kitty cartoon holiday special. So fun, nice little breather in the whole Hawkeye run, which uh, will eventually, you know, be in our top 10. All of them, all of it, everything, forever. Shut up. Hawkeye's the best. <laughs> What'd you guys think? So I really like Chris Eliopoulos, the artist. 
I've, I've mentioned him before on the podcast. He does a, gets a lot of work as a letterer at Marvel Comics. But he, as an artist, is also pretty fun. And he does have this sort of Peanuts meets Calvin and Hobbes vibe that uh, is pretty typical of his other work. Uh, the main story that I've read of his is a book called Cowboy that is about a little kid who, like, growing up in the Wild West, his family is bad, and so he gets, like, on a toy horse and gets a toy gun, and then he goes around and captures his family and collects the bounty on them because they're all bad people. <laughs> and it's this weird mix of, like, super lighthearted and kind of heavy, serious topics I, I, it, which is exactly my jam if you can strike the right balance. And Eliopolis does a really good job in Cowboy. So, like, because of that book, I've always had a, a soft spot for him. And so I like his art when it shows up, and you don't see it in mainline superhero comics very much because it doesn't fit. It's very, very cartoony. It's more in the vein of something like uh, the Art Balthazar, who did, like, the Tiny Titans over at DC. Good stuff, but not what you expect when you go to superhero comics. So, yeah, like, this story was a delight to me just because of how much I like Eliopolis. Yep. That said, like, if you don't know exactly what's going on in Hawkeye, I feel like this particular story doesn't actually have that much to offer you. That's fair. Because, like, you have, to, you have to go into it knowing that Steve, the dog with no powers that we let hang out with us all for some reason is Hawkeye, which isn't a difficult connection to make. But you also need to know that Lily is Kate and that Herman is Hawkeye's brother who just showed up, like, an issue or two before this in the main yeah. Hawkeye run. And, like, if you don't have all of that and you don't see those parallels, it, this the story offers nothing. Which I think, again, like, the biggest weakness of it is it doesn't really stand on its own and... At the same time, it can still be taken out from the Hawkeye run, and you lose nothing. Yeah, that's that's true. It is the definition of a fill-in yeah. issue. Except I don't think it was intended to be a fill-in issue. I'm not I'm not that clear on the publication history of Hawkeye. Um, maybe it was, but um, at the same time, Chris Eliopoulos art. I, I can't hate it. It's kind of like a fill-in issue, because it was... I, I don't know if this was supposed to be the Christmas issue, but this actually came out, like, in February. Yeah, the, I remember the... Especially the last half of the Hawkeye run, like, the publication record, or the publication schedule got kind of messed up, and it, it just did not come out in a very timely fashion. It's still good, and, like, this is still a fun book to read. Oh, my relief that we would we could stay friends after tonight. <laughs> I love Hawkeye, and I like this book. It is kind of pointless. Yeah, no, absolutely. This, this one little issue is is absolutely kind of pointless, but it is fun, and it does have like a lot of fun vibe. Uh, it re really does remind me of Calvin and Hobbes. Just yeah. flipping through it, something about the character yeah. styles just just evokes that. Um, so yeah, I think it's fun. Ultimately, a little bit forgettable, yep. but fun. I mean, it's a lot of forgettable. I forgot this book existed <laughs> until I reread it. And I read, and I bought and read every issue that was coming out, like, monthly. And I totally forgot that this was this was an, an issue that happened. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, it's fun. It's enjoyable. But I, I, I don't know. I kind of have to agree with a lot of what Steven said. And, like, the uh, points that come up where it's, you know, he's the only normal Avenger, no powers, that kind of thing. That is stuff that's, you know... 
brought up before in the comics, so we're not like getting anything new. It is completely removable from the big story, but you know, I think it functions well as a breather if you're reading it, you know, week to week, or if you're reading it, you know, like I do now, where you just binge it all. So, yep, agreed, hundred percent. That is where it works best. Is if you are binging the whole series, it's you need this bit as a breather. Mm-hmm. I feel like. And it works better in that context because then you get to see like the lesson that Hawkeye needs to learn really is that he is capable, but he can't do everything by himself. Yeah. That's the thing that Hawkeye needs to learn throughout the course of the story. Like Hawkeye has his heart's in the right place, but he has this, this toxic mindset that, you know, he has to cowboy up himself and do everything by himself. And it, Throughout the course of the Hawkeye series, you can see that take its toll on him. When Kate goes off on her own and starts doing things on her own, it takes its toll on her in the same way. They are stronger when they work together. And when they work by themselves, they can still get things done, but it kills them. And I think I think he takes on a lot of that because he doesn't want other people to get hurt. Yeah. Like, in the tape, you know, he volunteered with, like, Wolverine and Cap to, you know, take the fall for this... Like, be a distraction. You know, there was an assassination where it was a SEAL team that took this guy out, but they made it look like it was um, Hawkeye, and I think they had, had another fake tape that it was it was Captain America. Captain Wolverine. America and yeah. one of Wolverine. So, but he, yep. it was like, those guys can take a beating, but what's Hawkeye doing it for, you know? Like, sure, like, his background, he was an assassin, he was a spy and everything, but um, but that's just, I think, who he is. He wants to protect people and... He would rather get beat up than watch people he cares about get beat up. Yep, which is Steve the dog's motivation too, it seems. Uh, I, oh, I've just been flipping through the book as we've been talking about it. On uh, page 13, top of the page, we get three new dogs that walk in that are representations of uh, Mockingbird and Black Widow and Spider-Woman. So Hawkeye's yep. exes slash work wife slash... <laughs> That's pretty good. I like the little doggy outfit that makes Spider Woman look like a spider. <laughs> it makes me sad to see it in real it's life, ridiculous. where it's like, "Oh, don't dress up your dogs." But here, it's funny. Yeah, it is pretty ridiculous. But I don't know, man. Like other than that, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about this book. Mm, nope. I think I think the consensus is that baby Christmas specials are mediocre at best. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> In general. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. I can think of some really good Christmas specials. But they were all on Downton Abbey. Kapow! <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say DC. How dare you? Like, no. Like, one of my favorite Christmas stories is the story where the Joker ties Robin up in the front seat of his car and then drives around town running over people in a car and uh, the, the story's called Sleigh Ride. Jeez. And Robin saves the day by quoting Marx Brothers. Huh. It's actually very good. It was Paul Dini who wrote it. Uh, but yeah, like, I know there are good Marvel Christmas specials. And who knows, maybe we're still going to read one of them and talk about one of them. But um, yeah, the ones that we've been reading so far, including the ones we did last year, they've just been kind of okay. Yeah. I mean, I also just don't like Christmas specials. I also just don't like Christmas all that much. So... I come in with a bias. Ebenezer <laughs> Gomez? What? And a merry bah humbug to you, I, too. Yeah, dude. What, uh, 
What Marx Brothers line saves the... This morning I shot, an ele- I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How the elephant got in my pajamas, I'll never know. You can't fool me, there's no sanity clause. Stupid. <laughs> uh, that's such a good story. Anyway, um, if we don't have anything else to say about Hawkeye, I think we should move on to Twas the Fight Before Christmas. Yep. And all through the house, I was making a noise, not even the spider mouse. Um, spider mouse sounds terrifying. Wow. <laughs> it does. That's something that would crawl across my leg and I would burn down the house just to feel some comfort. Right, it has the eight has the eight legs and that really long skinny rat tail. Ugh, no thanks. Oh. Anyway, so this comes from Spider-Man's Tangled Web, number 21, written uh, and penciled by Darwin Cook and inks by Jay Bone. Yay. Yep. Uh, so the story here is, it's a pretty simple, like, night before Christmas type thing. Uh, Peter Parker was leaving a bugle office party to go run some quick errands he's really sad that mary jane isn't there uh even though he was able to convince her to fly home for the for the holiday but her plane got caught up in a storm and so along the way he finds a bunch of children presumably without parents i don't think that's ever really made all that clear the first yeah i was like why are these japanese kids hanging out what's the deal but it says yeah. it was about that time a schoolmistress named Miss Kiko realized that she and the last she and the last train to Maplewood were short several of her young charges. Our young man happened upon these orphans of the storm, and being a virtuous type, he knew what he must do. So he's helping these kids get back to their group. He scooped them up and took them to the party he had just left. Oh, that makes sense. I saw like a page full of Christmas rhymes and just text, and I ignored it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think when I opened the book, it put me right on this Twas the Fight Before Christmas splash page where Spidey's swinging across the page. Also, I didn't notice that there's a, a billboard in the back for jeans that just says crap. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... So he's kind of taking these kids and left them over at the Bugle uh, office party where... Um, Jonah Jameson and Betty Grant and, uh, and all these people... Betty Brant or Grant? Brant. Oh gosh, I think there are both. Uh, it's Betty Brant because it alliterates. That's right. And she was created there by Stan go. Lee. <laughs> yes, there you go. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so they're all they're all kind of hanging out with these kids as, as Jonas like arguing and and even though he's angry at Peter uh, for buying all these kids Spider Man action figures with his money in that office, <laughs> to which he asks him if his blood pressure is a joke to him. <laughs> Remembers that he needs to finish buying some of these presents that he's buying for for Jonah. So he needs to go find a a present for Jonah's wife so that Jonah can give it to her. Uh, Then we switch over to the Fantastic Four mansion where Reed Richards is looking for Medusa who's gone missing. And in company are Mrs. Fantastic or Sue Storm, Invisible Woman, the woman of many names, uh, the Wasp and Crystal. Who you can tell is Crystal. Because she has that little black band around her hair. Except in the first frame that she appears in. What type of shenanigans is this? <laughs> they just kept calling her Crystal. And I was, that's all that kept me straight on who was who there. Because I don't know the Inhumans. Yeah. Except Medusa could, you know, the hair. But Yeah. Uh, and Karnak. And, and Karnak because yeah. he is my soul. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my... And Lockjaw. Oh, Lockjaw. You can't forget Lockjaw. He's the goodest boy. 
He's the second best dog in Marvel Comics. Wait, what's the first? Pizza dog. Lucky the pizza dog. <laughs> Pizza Lucky dog the can't. pizza dog is the best, although continue. He solved a murder. Can't teleport you to the moon. But he's a good boy. Yeah. He solves a murder with the sense of smell. It's not his fault he can't teleport you to the moon. Lockjaw's not even a dog. Anyways, the ladies <laughs> decide they gotta go to Macy's. Also, they mention Macy's in here like at least four times. Um, they gotta go to Macy's to go buy some gifts. Or go shopping. And, uh... While we're there, there's a there's a short man who's uh, going into the to the mall with with a plan to deal with Spider Man, who is present, but it's not Peter Parker. It's actually Flash Thompson, who looks a little like Conan O'Brien in this. Um, he he does a little bit, especially in like that center frame on like page uh what page is this? On page eleven, he looks like the Conan O'Brien doodle. Um, if the hair was a little taller, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, you see it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Flash Thompson is, is playing dress-up for Spider-Man, the role that he was born to play. And so it's then revealed that uh, that the little short man is actually, I think it's Mastermind, what's his name? Puppet Master. Pu- Puppet Master, that's right. Uh, it's Puppet Master, who has a gigantic head, and he's been hypnotizing uh, Flash Thompson the spider-man a security guard and medusa who pops out of a giant uh gift well i think she popped she has the snowman mask on. that's right it's a snowman thing it's not a not gift. that kind of book yeah um, oh, gosh. so they pop out and they start wreaking havoc and everybody believes that uh this is the real spider-man and they're all stealing stuff because they are they're stealing stuff under mind control J. Jonah Jameson probably gets the most excited he's been in a while because he's arguing with the kids that <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson is fighting with the kids that Spider-Man is a menace because he's trying to tell them a story about how he stopped Spider-Man. Um, anyway, so he gets really excited because he just got the news that Spider-Man is stealing. So he takes the kids on a field trip, but not before bundling them up. But he takes them on a field trip to the mall so they can go see Spider-Man steal stuff. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the ladies, uh, Sue Storm, uh, Crystal, and the Wasp, uh, decide to take matters in their own hands and start fighting. But they all get defeated by Medusa's luscious long red locks. <laughs> uh, in, in which case, like uh, we get we get probably one of my favorite shots, which is uh, Spider-Man with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's Flash Thompson Spider-Man at this point. Yes, still, still at this point. So, uh, Peter Parker catches wind of this, he goes over to the mall and kind of takes, is able to, you know, kind of resolve the situation. Uh, he stops Medusa, knocks out Flash Thompson, or actually, Flash Thompson doesn't get knocked out by him, he just kind of gets knocked out, he gets thrown against the wall or something. He gets knocked down, does he get up again? He does not get up again. Something did definitely keep him down. Nice. But not a whiskey drink. Um, or a vodka drink. <laughs> or a vodka drink, Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, so this whole situation gets kind of gets settled out, and uh, everybody kind of goes goes back to like their respective things. Um, the kids do see Spider Man punching out uh, Santa Claus, which is Puppet Master in disguise. Uh, so now they're all crying, and Jay Jonas of Jameson is uh, kind of happy about that. Uh, so it wraps up pretty nicely. We get like this really nice like splash um, pages of kind of everything resolving. Uh, we see the wasp kind of hanging out with the 
with the kids as they go hang out with Santa Claus. <laughs> we see Crystal gifting a chainsaw to Medusa. Um, the Thing takes his girlfriend to, to, not to jail, but to the jail to go visit her wayward father. Her wayward father who is the puppet master who was the villain of this arc. Oh, wait, is that the, the connection? Yeah, so, yeah, just quick side note. So the puppet master has this ability where he can, like, make clay sculptures of people and thus control them. His daughter is the blind sculptress Alicia Masters, who is Ben Grimm's girlfriend, who is also a great sculptor. We saw her most prominently in The Coming of Galactus, because she talks to Silver Surfer for a good chunk of that story. Hmm. I had forgotten. The more you know. Okay, continue. Yeah, Flash Thompson hooks up. Uh, the Fantastics hook up. Uh, the kids play with security guards. I'm just, I'm literally going uh, globe by, by globe on this. Yep. Peter Parker gets a glass unicorn to give to Jonah so he can give it to his wife. And then we, uh, Mary Jane comes home. Yep. And it uh, wraps up real neat and tidy, like. Like Christmas issues do. Yep. Then we get just a nice, nice shot of everybody kind of hanging out at the Parker home with a bunch of Japanese students. (laughs) I'm actually, this last page is actually pretty nice. Like, I'm looking at it, and there are a lot of little things, like the glass unicorn is up on the mantle. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson has a uh, vest on with JJJ on it. Yeah, the silver... No, not the silver... That's stupid. <laughs> the, the human torch is flying around by... With yeah, the, you can uh, see the Fantastic Four and the Fantastic Car in the background. Yeah, so, like, that last image is really nice. Yeah, that... Yeah. It's it's a cute little story. Oh, wait a minute. This last page says Darwin inks and bone pencils. So I wonder if I got it wrong. Maybe Jay Bone did the pencils. I don't... So here's the thing. This looks like Darwin Cook. It looks a lot like Darwin Cook. It looks like early Darwin Cook, though, who um, gets a lot better. <laughs> like I kind of hate—I kind of hate to say it. I don't—I don't want to say that I don't like the art here. Darwin Cook gets a lot better. Like he, this story came out when uh, two thousand three. Yeah, like this. Okay, so this story came out in two thousand three. Darwin Cook was making comics for. Oh, man, he passed away sometime in the past decade, but I'm not sure exactly when. Um, But he was making comics for at least another decade after that. And he is, like, he's really good. I'm I'm putting my hands to my forehead because I can't put into words how good Darwin Cook is. He's he's a phenomenal talent. He did The New Frontier, which is probably one of... He did The New Frontier. DC Comics' best books. The New Frontier is one of the only books that I've ever read that makes me like Hal Jordan. Yeah. Like Green Lan- Hal Jordan Green Lantern is not a great character. He's interesting in the New Frontier. And it's a it's a master craft. Like it's a wonderful piece of, of comics. Darwin Cook does a really good job in it. And uh I would say it's probably one of the best things he's ever done, if it weren't for the fact that he also did the Parker the Hunter books. And those things are amazing. I, yeah, if you've never read Parker the Hunter, uh, the comic, 100% recommend it. It's, it's maybe, just in terms of, like, craft, uh, top five comics I've ever read. It's, it's in there. It's very good. But kind of like with Paul Grist, who, again, one of the best craftsmen in comics I've ever seen, I don't think this is the best 
showcase for Darwin Cook. Like, I've, I've read a little bit of early Darwin Cook. He also did some of the Ecstatics, uh, which was published, I think, around the same time. And he hadn't yet, I think, found the style that would really come to define him. His style strikes me as a bit of a mix of, like, Paul Dini and Mike Allred, but with a, like, it, it, it combines elements of both of those artists, but winds up being something that is kind of unique to him. Here, I get a lot more of the Paul Dini sort Are of you, vibe. When you say Paul Dini, do you mean Bruce Tim? Yeah, sorry. Yes, Bruce Tim. I do mean Bruce Tim. Thank you for the correction. I just want to, you know, I was like, whoa, Paul Genie could draw too? Holy crap. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's, I think I know what he means. That's a silly mistake to make. Um, yeah. He, he, he does strike me as, as kind of walking in Bruce Tim's footsteps at this point, which is most evident, I think, when you see how he draws women. Yeah. 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 100%. They uh they they recently started doing like a well not recently like this has been ten years going, DC does a line of uh, Batman related uh, statues that are all based on different artists, and they have a Harley Quinn statue of the Bruce Tim design. It's Jeff Hans. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah that that sounds about right. I it doesn't um, bother me. Maybe I, maybe I need to read more Darwin Cook, but I, I liked it. I mean, there are some some parts don't feel as polished as they could have been, but it's dynamic and fun like this big um uh page with uh, Medusa taking on everybody and Peter just walks in, "Jeez, what about Christmas? Look at them go and who the heck is Spider-Man?" And um okay, yeah, that, that's a cool that page, page is really good. You know. Yeah. But yeah, there are there are, some are better than others, and yeah, overall, I see what you're saying, Stephen. I still enjoyed it. I still liked it. I still want to read more of his work, but maybe it's good that I started with this, and then I can go later on. Um, I found out he was Canadian, and uh, he uh, died in 2016. Okay, yeah, so it was about three years ago. Yeah, uh, Cook's a talent. Cook is is just incredibly good. What'd you say? What'd you say? Uh, he knows what he's cooking. I'd say uh, his his work definitely is fit to survive. That was that was a that was a Charles Darwin, that was a Charles Darwin joke. I think it's fit to serve. I like comics because you cook it. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting that this Spider Man story had very little Spider Man in it. Yeah, uh, I, I hey, it, it does feel right. very Spider Man ish because he he does start out the book uh, complaining. And then he finishes the book happy. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Even though nothing goes right for him in the middle. Right. Those it, school it's, children it's a, lived. It's a, it's a pretty standard spot. <laughs> yeah, the school children watch their hero punch out Santa Claus. Yeah, that'll mess And maybe up. steal something. We, we don't... And maybe steal something. And also we got this bit where Spider-Man drops the giant present on Medusa. And that's all the Fantastic Four sees of him. So they don't know that she's been mind controlled. So the thing shows up and just punches Spider-Man out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was nice. I like to see, oh, the thing is real tough. <laughs> I like that because it kind of like just happens and he just like lifts the box and he's like, eh, she'll live. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else, yeah. is, everyone else is coming back to it, you know, and <laughs> Peter Parker is just like this rainbow over the crowd scene of everyone else like getting themselves sorted and he's just like, ah. But then, yeah, lands on Santa. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, I think, I don't know, I, I still think my favorite thing about this is, one, seeing a bunch of adults have to deal with a bunch of uh, kids that they were not expecting to deal with. 
Yep. But I also kind of quite like the whole bit with uh, Flash Thompson. I, I, I always like Flash Thompson being excited to be Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Flash Thompson Spider-Man fan is probably the best version of Thompson. Gotta say. Yeah, so I like that he's super, like, into it. Like, he's... They do that quintessential actor thing where he's sitting at the dressing room just, like, staring in the mirror, getting ready for the part. <laughs> yeah. Um, trying to trying to get in character, trying to... Yeah. Get, you know, maybe he's very method about it. Maybe he has some homemade web shooters that didn't get featured in this, but... <laughs> it's like, I am... Mr. Spider-Man. You gotta call me Mr. Spider-Man before we, uh, you yeah. <laughs> I'm John Spider-Man RNA. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's got a whole intricate backstory. <laughs> Just so he can be the mall Spider-Man. Anyway. Uh, page 23, we get this image of J. Jonah Jameson telling this story where, like, a robot with Jameson's face is chasing Spider-Man up the side of a building. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That comes from one of the early Spider-Man comics. That is a thing that happened. Yeah, I don't doubt it. <laughs> like, that's that's a funny aspect of early Spider-Man. J. Jonah Jameson was straight up a supervillain in early Spider-Man. He was? Because he's like, yeah, he's like commissioning the, like, he creates the Scorpion oh. yeah, to go fight Spider-Man. He creates that robot to, to go fight Spider-Man. He commissioned the guy who created all the Spider-Slayers. You think he was like a Marvel version of uh, Lex Luthor there for a while? Yeah. Yeah, he was mayor. Well, I definitely like, you know, when they kind of get away from that aspect of Jameson and just make him, like, this overzealous journalist. Like, I like that iteration of the character better. But early on, yeah, he was he was pretty much straight up a supervillain. Anything close to the J.K. Simmons version, I'm okay with. There was a, there's a <laughs> bit in the Spider-Man video game that none of you have played. Uh, I played a little. Where, like, during, during one of his episodes, uh, when he's, like, yelling about stuff... He actually mentions the scorpion thing. He's like, there are allegations that I paid the money to create the supervillain today known as the scorpion. Like, These are ridiculous. He's out there. Blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because you can say whatever you want and nothing matters. Fake news. On the radio. Hashtag fake news. Well, that was depressing. Let's talk about Christmas some more. Do we have anything else that we want to say about this book, actually? No, I think that this one was... I don't know. It's a kind of a toss-up because, it, it, like, was this more successful than Hawkeye? Was Hawkeye better? I don't know. I liked them both better than the uh, GL Xmas. I I think one of the problems I have with this, though, um, and I will be honest, and I think part of why I don't have a problem with it today is because we've read enough books. But if this was like any other, if I had been reading these like before the podcast, I would not have known really who Medusa was. Uh, Puppet Master, uh, Crystal, like that. They yeah. just they they're they're kind of yeah. like lesser known characters, and like that they're half the cast really. And I would have just been like, what? Who? Yeah. So they're Fantastic Four characters. That's the weirdest thing about this is that Crystal and the Puppet Master and Medusa they are Fantastic Four characters. Medusa was even on the Fantastic Four for a while. Yeah. You know what? Now that you're saying it like this, this actually feels more like a Fantastic Four book with Spider-Man. I know! Yeah. It's super weird. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because apparently I did do a little reading up on the Tangled Web of Spider-Man, and, like, the emphasis of the title was on the web. Like, Spider-Man's Tangled Web. I'm sorry, that's the name of the book. So, like, the web of Spider-Man is 
all of the characters that are in Spider-Man's orbit. Which would make sense why there's not so much Spider-Man in this book. Oh, right. Yeah. So the same way that like Avenging Spider-Man just had him hanging out with Avengers every issue. Right. Yeah. Oh. And that's not that's not a bad way to do things. Actually, yeah. I really like that approach. Um, it's like having uh, like with one of their more recent relaunches. This is like the fifth time I've mentioned DC in this episode. <laughs> DC Comics did. They had Batman that was all about Batman, but then they had Detective Comics, and that was about the team kind of around Batman. So it was about Batwoman and uh, Tim Drake and Jason Todd and Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain. So it had, like, the Batman sidekicks in it. I actually don't remember if Jason Todd was in it. But regardless, like, Detective Comics became the Bat family book. And I always, I like that approach. I think if you have a character, especially a character who has a supporting cast as solid as Spider-Man's, Making a book about that supporting cast is not a bad thing. Yeah, but the funny thing about his supporting cast is that they're all pretty decent leading players of their own books. <laughs> he has been around for a long, long time, so mm-hmm. that gives a lot of room for the lesser-known characters to kind of get their moment to shine, doesn't it? And, and yet he's only, like, 23. Indeed. Guys, when it's available, we're reading Spider-Man Live Story. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna happen. That was a good boy. I I teared up a couple times. Oof. Should we try to rank these? I think it's time to rank these. We've we've definitely kind of gone off on a tangent now. I think this will be an interesting uh, ranking session. Yeah, it's hard to rank a book. It's hard to rank a book. It's rank tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky to rank a book. To rank a book that's got a hook. It's tricky. Uh, almost clever. Yeah, almost see, clever. see you did better than i did but i st- not by much <laughs> it's, it's iteration i am standing on the shoulder of a mexican giant <laughs> andres <laughs> andres oh the giant my <laughs> now i'm now see now when you said that <laughs> is it uh, is it now i i want to be careful here is it culturally insensitive to have the Jolly Green Giant in a sombrero and a serape? I mean, no. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Depends. Just to what? visually convey. I don't know how. Uh, I mean. What what race is the Jolly Green Giant? I guess that's the question. <laughs> well, I would be to to visually convey that he was of Mexican origin. I would. I, I as a cartoon character, slap a sombrero on him. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. As my blessing. I'm all for more sombreros on, on pop culture. Yes! <laughs> and now you have the approval of the arbiter of all things racist. Haha! <laughs> I pull out a big sombrero I've been hiding under my desk until I got approval to wear it, and now I'm, yeah, now I'm just the sombrero yeah. guy. Fun Why? fact, Aldo runs the Twitter account Racist Watchdog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. I wish I I did. thought those were just German shepherds. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Kapow! Yes! Oh! I was kind of nodding off there for a second, and I'm back! <laughs> wow. We broke Steven. We've never broke Steven this bad. <laughs> On our list, we currently have 78 stories, Ooh. ranging from the really good to the really bad. Uh, we won't get into the specifics there, I don't think. Uh, let's, let's rank these stories. Let's start with... I think it's okay. The GLXmas special. Where do we rank this? Um. So I'm gonna say real fast before we say anything else about it. Of the stories, I actually thought this one had the best moments, 
But it also had the worst moments, and so I don't know if that actually makes it better or worse than the other three. Well, it depends. Are the worst moments worse than any other worst moments, or are they still... Do they take away the least from the good parts, and still overall it's a it's a positive gain? Yeah, that's the thing. The, the low moments actually do take away from the story some, I think. Mm-hmm. My initial gut reaction is like below Sweet Christmas. Like right below Sweet Christmas. You put it below Sweet Christmas? See, I, I think it's better than Sweet Christmas. Uh, yeah, but Sweet Sweet Christmas didn't really have me feeling uncomfortable about suicide. Uh, okay, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be the guy who tries to defend suicide jokes in 2019. It's it's. It honestly left like a really sour taste. Yeah. No. I. I. Uh, okay. I'm. I. Although I'm with you already. That's all it took. Yeah. So we're ranking. So that. I mean, that's GLXmas. We're starting with that one. And yeah. Okay. GLXmas. That would put it at 57 between Sweet Christmas and Exiles: A World Apart, which is pretty solidly in the. Eh. <laughs> portion of the list. Which is exactly how I felt about this, yeah. I'd put it below Exiles. I liked Exiles more than that. I think, I, I mean, once you bring up the suicide joke, like, yeah. I do think that I would cap it at maximum, or, like, put the floor at maximum carnage. Because mm-hmm. maximum carnage was kind of just a slog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. And as far as comedic books with jokes landing versus jokes not landing is pretty... Tied, I think Exiles probably hits a little bit more with better jokes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, so that'll put it at 58 instead, which I think is, yeah, okay, that's actually fair. Okay, now uh, let's talk about uh, the NBC Wintertime Winter Friends Winter Fun Special <laughs> from Hawkeye. <laughs> that freaking title. Boy, what a name. What does NBC stand for? Uh, Marvel Broadcasting. Ugh. Uh, oh, I don't actually know. Oh. I just assumed it was Marvel. Because they can't say NBC, because that's somebody else's trademark. Yeah. A lot anymore. Oh, wait, no. It's ABC I'm thinking of. Never mind. (laughs) So, it was good but forgettable. Do we have a section of that on this list? (laughs) I think we're right at the bottom of it. (laughs) Yeah. I would put it above uh, the client, because I just, eh. But I know that you guys are going to see Mary Jane Homecoming and go, no, there's no higher book than Mary Jane Homecoming. That's exactly what I was <laughs> going to say. How dare you put this this harmless Hawkeye above that? Yeah. So you guys decide. That's my <laughs> that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, um, 100%. It doesn't go above Mary Jane Homecoming. <laughs> Not at all. This is rough then because we're getting to we're now we're getting to where like we can predict each other's arguments and so. <laughs> Oh, here's my argument. No, here's the thing, though. I have a pretty good argument for this. I think this book is fun, but ultimately unnecessary. But the fun component of it makes it, like, good and and worth reading, which puts it above taking it to the streets, which was that first Heroes for Hire arc that we read. Yeah. Uh, It was kind of the Civil War tie-in that was just kind of blah. It's better than blah. And there's nothing I can say to have you guys put it above Mary Jane Homecoming. Not a bit. No. Hey, guess no. what? We found our spot. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> what do you Listen, think, Aldo? Uh, I mean, I'm in agreement with Steven here. You would be. Uh, you know, if it makes you feel any better, uh, that's the same place where I would put where I want to put that uh, Spider-Man book. Oh, interesting. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I think they're both equally good. I, I personally, I think the Spider-Man book is just a little bit better. Here's the thing. Uh, okay, so let's let's make it official first of all. 
NBC Winter Friends Winter Time Winter Fun Winter Fest or whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, that's going to go in at 49 between Mary Jane Homecoming and Taking It to the Streets. I'm not happy about it, but I, I see how we arrived at this location. <laughs> I could I could throw a, a, a manga. Is you just call it a manga if it's a book, or do you say a manga book like a comic book? Isn't the collection called like a tonkabon? A tonkobon. Oh, nerds! I could call. <laughs> I could throw some manga off of a cliff, and you guys would dive after it. it really depends on the manga, dude. Uh, yeah. Like if is is it bunny drop? In that case, which volume? Because if it's an early volume, I'm going after it. But if it's a later wow. one, I'm going to say, nah, man, let it die. No, it's going to be about the one of the kids in high school and the girl wants the guy to notice her and uh, they also have superpowers for some reason. Huh, that doesn't narrow it down at all, does it? Hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the thing about uh, the, the fight before Christmas. I was scrolling up the list a little bit from where we're at, and I saw Ultron Unlimited. This is better than Ultron Unlimited, I think. Uh, remind me of the good parts of Ultron Unlimited. Wait, though, I kind of there it is. That kind of answers my question. <laughs> there, if I can't remember go. any, there. If I can't remember any little moments of Ultron Unlimited that jump out at me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you go up from here. You got Ultron Unlimited, Eternals, The Search for Eternity, House um, of Whoa, M. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said Eternals and then what? The House of M! <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. This See is what the he did? dumbest he bit. He twisted. This is the <laughs> dumbest bit that we have. We, it's our first bit. <laughs> we, it's, we have one good bit. <laughs> no, we don't. We have this bit. It is not a good bit. It's good in relative terms. <laughs> uh, anyway, like, that section feels like it's a better fit, at least to me. For this book, which is flawed, but has some notable elements, mainly like that good early Darwin Cook art and just kind of the fun stuff with J. Jonah Jameson and the kids. Uh, but it's not like, I, I still think this is a good section of the list where it's like good, but kind of forgettable. But if you, you know, gave me Ultron Unlimited or this, I'm 100% picking up the fight before Christmas before I pick up Ultron Unlimited. Listen. You know where I started out, but I'm never opposed to ranking Spider-Man higher, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know that it says, uh, I think The Eternals I would recommend over this because The Eternals is interesting and it's novel, and even if it didn't, like, have the greatest execution, it's still, like, I, I still think I would recommend that over this. So I, I think I would put it, personally, between Eternals and Ultron Unlimited. I, I'm okay with that. Me too. Okay, so that's going to go in at number 45. Pushing everything else down. Pushing everything else that we just ranked down. Uh, also, I want to point out that last episode we talked about how Star Wars A New Hope, the manga, kind of goes in at the spot where, you know, from there up is stuff that we would actively recommend to people. None of these books cracked that line. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I see it as filler for future better books. <laughs> We gotta pad this list. Yeah, We're, we've actually padded out this lower section. That's like eh, it's fine. We padded it out pretty well, I think, because the eh, it's fine section goes, I think, from why stands for freedom at thirty nine, down to when do things start getting bad. Um, I would say right around sixteen oh two. 
Yeah, I mean, I really don't like 1602. <laughs> I, actually, I think the soft bottom, that's a weird line. Thing I didn't expect to say today. It's I think the soft bottom, bottom here is Civil War. <laughs> uh, so it's spot number 69. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast with teenagers. <laughs> what were you going to say, John? <laughs> John's going to say Civil War needs to be higher. I'm going to say Civil War wasn't that bad, but like. I, th- I think here is where we start having a lot of differing opinions of like what's not as bad as we think it as other people think it is we can all agree on the bottom of the bottom though so that's oh, yeah. what's important oh yeah yeah so i think demonstrably like we think every like we're united in thinking it's bad probably comes around 75 no that's yeah. a little higher than i would have said i was i was gonna say 77 but i mean potatoes potatoes Boy, we have a pretty big list. If you want to check it out, you should check us out at superhumanregistrationpodcast.com where you can go on the list and see for yourself. Yep. There's also a web form there where you can contact us and make recommendations for books that we can read. Um, Click like and subscribe, smash that like button, and ring the bell. <laughs> I watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> you do watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> You come to appreciate the people who can, you know, call out for that in a in a clever way that doesn't feel like like and subscribe, you know. Yeah, hair flip all over that sm- that like button. God, I hate that one. That's the one I hate the most. <laughs> Which YouTuber is that? Uh beat 'em ups. He just reviews Switch games. I watch binging with Babish and all binging with Babish adjacent to uh, uh, channels. Oh, being with Babish. Being with Babish. Well, I'm, I mean, if, you know, it'll recommend, like, a tasty video after that, then I'll watch that. So, like, oh, the, Hot Ones? The, the middle... Love Hot Ones! Yes! That's such a great... Hot Ones is very good. And, and, the, and the John Boyega episode? No, I'm, I'm way behind. I just oh. haven't, like, taken the time to catch up, but their Los Calientes sauce is legit. That is really good. The other two I got from them were not that great, but the Los Calientes sauce is really tasty. And just at that level of heat that, like, it's hot... But you're still getting good flavor without destroying your mouth. So, I'll I'll know I made it big when I get invited to hot ones. Yeah, yeah. People who are big who are promoting something, as well as like interesting people, that you know. Yeah, let's let's get yeah. this. Let's let's get the podcast on hot ones. Come on, guys. This is a goal. <laughs> goal for 2020. We can let's, do it. Let's yeah. get so, sounds of I was gonna say sounds of chewing and. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. that outward breathing to blow on your food that's that's yeah. great podcast all, material all three of us can get on on hot ones uh-huh. your your children can watch you die <laughs> <laughs> i hope you all look forward to my next podcast project which is going to be basic white boy eating <laughs> spicy food asmr <laughs> it's just a lot of screaming after the first minute or so <laughs> Then it goes into crying, and then he then he says, like and subscribe. I love spicy food, but I cannot tolerate it. Mm. Like, I'll have a bite of spicy food, and I'll be like, yeah, this is really good. And then I'll have a second bite, and immediately my entire brain falls out my nose, and my eyes explode with tears. Yep. <laughs> you just got to build up your tolerance. Just start throwing jalapenos in your breakfast, and then slowly but surely... Just just start, you gotta start real slow, just start like putting Cholula on everything until it tastes like nothing. Yeah. And then just keep, just keep moving up that way. Oh, Cholula yeah. is so good. She's in my fridge right now. Cholula. I need a guitar to go dun dun dun. So for our next episode, <laughs> for our next episode, I gotta move a song. Guys. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I gotta go. For to our next episode, we're gonna read a couple of lighthearted little stories. Uh, we are gonna start with uh, Howard the Duck, the 2015 series. Now, kind of like what we ran into with Squirrel Girl, there are two Howard the Duck series that started in 2015. This is the one that starts and ends in 2015, written by Chips Darsky. Oh, the other one was also written by Chips Darsky. <laughs> anyway, Howard the Duck, 2015, Volume 5, Issues number 1 through 5. And to follow that up, we're going to read another goofy book from the following year, The Unbelievable Gwenpool Numbers one through four. Written by Chris Hastings, Christopher Hastings. Written by Chris Hastings with art by Guruhiru. That's a winning combo. If uh, you like Christopher Hastings, you should check out the Rude Tales of Magic podcast because he's on it. He's a voice. You can hear his voice, and it's not coming through a Dr. McNinja mask. If you like Guruhiru, you should read the Avatar of the Last Airbender follow up books. Yes. You should read those anyway, probably, I would guess. Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah, they're pretty good. Written by Gene uh, Yang, a lot of them. Most of them. Uh, the Korra books are not, and I think the newer Avatar trilogy is not. Yeah. Uh, the Korra books, I think, are... Are they Faith Aaron Hicks? I don't know. I don't. I, I thought I had them here next to me, but I don't. I actually don't know where they are now. Now I'm worried. <laughs> well. Anyway, uh, all, those, all those books are good. Yes. They're all good. That's it for this episode. This episode's going to go up, like... In that fun period between Christmas and New Year's. So we all we hope that you all are having a wonderful holiday season. We will see you in 2020 with some goofy fun books. This has been the Superhuman Registration Podcast, and I'm tired. So we're going to go to bed. <laughs>